I am Andrea Butcher, and this is Being at Work. Being a leader is hard. So on this show, I set out to talk with experienced leaders to learn from their pivotal moments, how they led through the challenges we can all relate to but are often unheard. Today's guest said to me, you've got to raise yourself for the hard things. Throughout her career, she has put herself in situations where she's uncomfortable, and it has served her well. Kate Maxwell is a technical director at Raytheon Technologies. She's responsible for strategic technical roadmaps, investments, and engineering development, supporting the front end of the business of a multi-billion dollar portfolio. And she does it all with gusto and a lot of passion, as you'll hear. She's an accomplished technology leader, public speaker, and recognized innovator with multiple patents, invention disclosures, publications, and conference proceedings, both domestically and abroad. Kate's also a huge proponent of STEM outreach and volunteerism and sits on the board of directors for TechPoint Foundation for Youth. She was also one of the recipients of the Indianapolis Business Journal's 2019 Women of Influence Awards and holds many Raytheon distinctions. She's the recipient of the company's Presidential Award for driving competitive advantage as the founding director of a global innovation organization, which inspires and empowers employees to innovate across all functions and labor grades. She's seen how empowering individuals to innovate drives their commitment and engagement, especially across large enterprise organizations. So she'll highlight today how that's played out at Raytheon Technologies. Check it out. I studied computer science in school many, many years ago. And my, my first job out of college, I went straight into a software engineering role with Raytheon. So we support primarily defense and intelligence and civil customers really around the world. And so I jumped into this career, not really knowing what it meant to be an engineer. And I've, I've gotten a heck of an education in the process. I've been with the company 16 years now. We've grown during my time with this company. So one of my passions has always been how to get the most out of certainly myself, but also the people around me. And I think as I've held various jobs throughout my career, the thing that I've found is I always bring my best self to work when I'm really passionate and excited about what I'm doing every day. And I think that's true for most people. So, you know, there's lots of people out there that they really care about shareholder value and they care about meeting those annual operating plan targets, but that also doesn't get a lot of other folks out of bed in the morning. If you give people a mission that they're really connected with and find out what their passions are and you can somehow connect their job to that, they will bring everything they've got to work every day. And and I've been in positions where that's been the case and I just can't wait to get out of bed and go to work. So kind of uh, following in that vein, a number of years ago, I guess about five or six years ago now, I was working in research and development in Raytheon. And I was um, not a, a huge player in the R&D scene. I was the process and execution lead. And, and my job was really to support all of the principal investigators if they needed something. So I oversaw their budgets. I helped them with um, procurement and supply chain if they needed materials for research. Uh, my job was really to break down any roadblocks that stood in their way so that they could go be successful. And I loved that job. I, I learned a lot and it was super fun. But as I was in that role, you know, I had the privilege of seeing all of the good ideas that would bubble up each year related to research and development. The things that we could be working on as a company to set us up for success in the future, 
and to develop the cutting edge capabilities that our customers needed, primarily the warfighter. And so as I would see those ideas come through, you know, month after month and year after year, they were awesome ideas, but there was always this concern that it was many of the same players and innovators bringing those ideas time after time. And I thought, surely there are other good ideas out there. You know, we have people that work in secure areas, you know, where they're, they're kind of in many ways locked away all day, working on things that are classified so they don't get to get out and, and maybe speak to their colleagues in other locations or working on unclassified programs. We have new hires and interns by the tens of thousands that are fresh out of school and are probably bringing great new perspectives to our company. What if those folks have ideas and they just don't know how to either connect the dots or, or bring them forward to leadership or connect them with a business case or something? So... I took that idea and Andrea, in many ways, you know, it, this is a theme similar to what I've heard in some of your other podcasts. It's find a need and fill it. There was just this need that existed to go find and, and capture all the other good ideas that were out there in the enterprise. Was that shared? Did other colleagues recognize that as well? Yes, we had, I would say, a, a small team of us that were working in the research landscape who kind of jumped on this idea at the same time. And so we banded together. It was the power of the collective, so to speak. We, we got our little innovation squad together and we put a business case on paper and we went to the research and development director and just said, uh, you know, sir, we want to find a way where we can communicate innovation and why it's important out to the company, out to the masses, try and get more people educated about what innovation looks like at Raytheon Technologies and how they can get involved. And then we'd like to have a little bit of seed funding set aside. So if somebody has a good idea, you know, they don't have to go through all of the process associated with getting a multi-million dollar IRED budget because IRED being internal research and development, you know, that's, that's tough. And sometimes it's unwieldy, especially if you've not been through the process before. Not to mention there's a huge intimidation factor, especially if it's someone who has an idea and maybe they're not an engineer, right? Good ideas come from everywhere. So we were granted that initial budget to go kind of prototype and, and innovate and disrupt the business itself in some ways. And, and so we did, you know, we got started, we started hosting innovation brown bags and lunchtime topics and teaching people about how, if they have an idea, they can bring it forward. And we started providing feedback and coaching the people on how they can connect their ideas with business value, because in a business, that's really how you advance something. You show the company how it could have a return on the investment they're going to make in that idea. And this caught fire in a way that I think none of us expected. We suddenly had thousands of people from all over the world participating in innovation challenges that we were hosting. And we were making it up as we go. <laughs> it was amazing. You know, we started. Because you hadn't expected that. We really didn't. I thought, you know, we'll slow roll this. There'll probably will be some interest. But in the matter of three months, we had thousands of ideas rolling in. Some as far away as Australia and Israel and, and the United Kingdom, you know, from our, our Raytheon colleagues abroad. So there was clearly a demand signal for this. I mean, people had ideas and they had just been waiting for something that would help them move those ideas forward. Waiting for a forum, waiting for a forum to share. Exactly that. It was exactly that. So one day, you know, I was, I was plugging along, trying to working on this shoestring budget. And I got a phone call from the president of my business who 
you know, when you work in a big company like that, these people are in some ways almost famous. They're, they're, they seem untouchable when you're kind of junior in the organization. And he said, you know, Kate, we see what you're doing. This innovation thing, you know, this is, this is real. And I want you to take global in a big way. We got your back. We believe in this. Go get them. Good luck. And, <laughs> and so, you know, suddenly it, it went huge in a really big way. And it was just remarkable. We saw so many great ideas come in. I couldn't wait to go to work every day because people were just so passionate about what they were doing. And I think that passion is contagious. You know, if, if you manage to capture that in your workforce, like I said, gosh, the, the good ideas just keep on coming and people start kind of riffing off of each other and it snowballs in a really positive way. So it was an amazing ride. We made this innovation organization global inside of Raytheon. It still exists to this day. We host quarterly innovation challenges that align with business needs and with customer needs. You know, we'll, we'll talk directly to the warfighters that we serve and, you know, the, the military services that we serve to partner with them on innovation challenges and, and what their needs are. And it's been, it's been a fascinating ride. The one thing that I would, uh, I think I'm most proud of though, you know, we've, we've certainly created a lot of business value in this process. But the people that participated in these innovation initiatives got so much out of it and are growing their own careers through it. And that has been just a wonderful thing to watch. Are there any stories in particular that jump out of individuals that really shined through the process and because they had an opportunity to do, for, be, do so for the first time? Absolutely. Um, there's one story that I always like to share. There was a, a woman who was working out in our Omaha, Nebraska site. And that's one of our smaller sites. They do a lot of um, weather applications uh, and work for NOAA and things like that. And she had software development experience in her background, but she had never worked on some of the more cutting edge, you know, newer technologies like artificial intelligence and machine learning and things like that. She was aware of them. She just didn't have that experience herself. And so we had an innovation challenge around how to leverage some open source data or public domain data and sensors that might exist to apply machine learning applications and, and maybe develop some really great inferences from that data that would be of value to our customers. And so, you know, despite the fact that she didn't have machine learning experience, she knew what it was and she kind of knew the power of it after having done some homework on her own. So she put forward this idea where you could take an open source video feed that, that's just available on the web. It's available to the public domain. And she applied some machine learning algorithms to it. And she developed a way where you could get some very localized weather information using machine learning algorithms in order to feed things like um, drone flight patterns, for instance, because those are very weather dependent. And so this idea actually ended up being one of the winners of this innovation challenge. She got a couple patents out of it. She became a machine learning expert in her own right and had opportunities to take some training and she got some coursework under her belt and I believe she got certified in it. And since that time, she has briefed business presidents. She has hosted a number of customer demonstrations to great success. And now she leads a bunch of our strategic investments, high dollar investments in uh, one of our largest business areas. So I was so proud of her and that opportunity. And she, you know, she's come back to us and said, you changed the trajectory of my career just by offering this opportunity to people. And that, to me, is the most amazing part. 
Oh, that's incredible. So that's why you said earlier that you're most proud of the people who participated, stories like hers. Absolutely. And, you know, she's going to she's gonna pay that forward. And I think that she, after having the experience that she had working in our innovation organization, her team is probably going to be enabled and empowered to innovate as well. So the culture in some way becomes self-fulfilling eventually, which is exactly what you want to do at the enterprise level, which is wonderful. Yeah, no doubt. It's such a cycle and such a win-win for everyone. Yeah, and it goes back to the, you, I, for some reason, I, I want to talk more about the um, the business case that you put together. So the innovation squad saw a need, you went to the, your leader, and it very quickly caught fire. What was the time frame between launch and the growth? Then them coming to you and say, hey, we're going to give you two and a half million dollars to lead an innovation center. I think it was between three and six months. We had our initial 10K um, fairly quickly. And we had, I would say, the benefit of already working in a research and development environment where you can get money turned on fairly quickly, which is a good thing. So we had our initial budget in a period of probably weeks, less than a month, certainly. And by the time it really caught fire and and grew into a multi-million dollar organization, it was three to six months out. I mean, it just... It, That's it, so fast. It was fast, especially in a big enterprise. You know, it's hard to gain traction and really move some initiatives forward sometimes. But this one caught. And I think I would attribute much of the success to the fact that there was a real grassroots demand signal for this. You know, it's sometimes hard to get initiatives to gain traction if they're they're pushed down from the top. But if there's a demand signal for it from your, your workforce, that can really help accelerate things. Is that part of what led you to take the idea to leadership? It was. It was. Uh, You know, we were hearing from smatterings of people that they had ideas or they didn't quite know how the innovation process at Raytheon Technologies worked, but that they wanted to get involved. And so we thought there's there's a need here. Let's let's see if we can represent that need in a business case to our leadership and make something happen. And we did. So you said the innovation organization is still running, still, still, and did you lead the organization then? I did. Yeah. Um, it's funny, you know, sometimes in your career, you, you have ideas or you, you want to fill a need and you don't expect it to turn into your career or your life's <laughs> work. I was, I was fortunate when it became a, a real legitimate organization and initiative inside of Raytheon, they asked me to be the director of that organization and, and really stand it up and shepherd it forward. And, and I did. So I led that organization for two years. It was, and, and I, I suspect I'll probably always say this, it was the best two years of my career and possibly my life because it was so much fun. It was wonderful to see ideas turning into business value and see new capabilities getting fielded in ways that really supported the warfighter. You know, that at the end of the day, that's our mission in Raytheon. We want to make the world a, a safer place and ensure freedom around the globe. And when you're taking good ideas at the grassroots level and you're getting them fielded and making a difference and saving lives with those ideas, my goodness, there's there's no higher calling than that. So yeah, I led the organization for two years. I learned so much from it. I, I got so much career growth out of it myself. And I'm so fortunate to have had that experience. I did transition it on to one of my mentees who um, succeeded me in the role after two years. I could have happily stayed there my whole career. I don't think that's necessarily a good thing for the organization. We got to be innovative and that requires fresh perspectives. So I wanted to pass it on to somebody else 
And uh, it's since been, leadership has since turned over twice in that, I guess it's been five or six years now. So um, people are still getting a lot out of the opportunity and, and the organization continues to evolve to this day as it should. Yeah, there are so many leadership lessons we can take from your example. You have the, the initial seeing a need, filling it, listening and looking for those grassroots demand signals. And then it's, it also sounds like pretty quickly going to leadership and saying, hey, we have this need. Here's what we want to do. That was really a big part of it. And I, I learned some lessons in that experience, certainly. You know, I learned how to put a business case together. I had to learn how to communicate up in an organization. I think there's there's lots of different types of communication and being able to communicate with executives in the way that they'd like to receive information and in a way that supports, you know, whatever whatever their targets are, whether they're beholden to meeting an annual operating plan or beholden to employee satisfaction metrics, whatever it might be. I think you have to figure out what people care about and what motivates them and what they're responsible for and figure out how to frame a business case in that way. And so I learned a lot about that. I also think, you know, from a career perspective, I learned that my greatest discriminator might be just raising my hand when I see a need and running into it full steam. I think uh, if you're brave and you're willing to take on tough assignments and assignments that might be a little bit bigger than your current skill set, that's where you're really going to grow. And so I still try to do that in every role I take on to this day. Because that's that's how you develop yourself. Yeah, it very much sounds like you have a why not attitude. Like you see an opportunity, you step into it. 100%. And, and I, I mentor a lot of people to do the same. And it's going to be hard. You know, don't get me wrong. I, I tend to be the type of person who, who does suffer from imposter syndrome, right? Where you think, gosh, they're going to figure out that I'm I'm not qualified for this or that I don't belong in this room. These people are so much smarter than me. But I think you have to be willing to lean into that discomfort and know that no one expects you to know everything when you take on a new job. You know, find good mentors and coaches who can really help you through it. I always surround myself with people who, um, you know, they're, they're people I admire or who have jobs or lives that I would like to achieve similar levels of success. And, and I value everything that they've done because then they can really coach me and, and help me be successful too and, and you learn from their experiences. And now I try and pay that forward. We're a big company. We have lots of people um, who are either fresh out of school or sometimes in fresh out of military service and they're joining the workforce. And so I think you got to look for every opportunity to give back and help those folks advance their careers and their lives as well. Well, and then doesn't that give you such a boost as a leader too? You know, the more that you're pouring into others. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, you feel like you're leaving a legacy in some ways, which is just a great thing. And I, I get so much energy out of those interactions. You know, I think sometimes when, when you work in a really execution driven environment, you can tend to get bogged down by the day to day and by the busy schedule and, you know, the hundreds of emails that are pouring in any given hour. And when you can take a moment and just either give back to your community or have that career or life exchange with somebody, I always get so much out of it too. And it, it kind of grounds you in a way. Well, it's serving, it's giving, which is which is what we're meant to do. Yeah, it's interesting this morning, a, a mentee that I've, I've worked with for the last couple of years, she's been going through a transition and really struggling. There's a particular job that she's interviewed for, but 
wasn't quite sure about it, but felt guilty saying no. And so I've just been coaching and encouraging her through that. And I hadn't heard from her for a couple of days. And I was thinking about her this morning while I was getting ready and thinking, I need to just send her a quick text. And lo and behold, she texted me, but she started the text with, hey, I'm so sorry to bother you. And it was just a reminder to me that, you know, it's interesting how it is so life-giving for me to pour into people that, but that she would think it's a bother. So I very quickly reminded her like, hey, we're in this together, my friend. And it gives me energy to be able to come alongside you. So please know, like you're never a bother to me. Yeah, that's exactly it. And I think now more than ever, we need to be looking out for each other and checking in on each other. You know, you know, we're in the midst of this whole COVID thing and working from home and people always have struggles that, that many of their colleagues might not know about. We're all human. So I think if you lead with empathy and compassion and, and realize exactly what you said, you know, we're in this together. That's, that's, you get so much out of those relationships. That could be another episode. We could have a whole episode around empathy and compassion. I'd love to get your thoughts on that as well. But hey, I want to go back to um, just the idea about leaning into the discomfort you said, you know, and so listening to your story, you've put yourself in a position over and over where you're uncomfortable. And that's no doubt has served you well throughout your career. That's, that's what I hear in your story. And so you gave us a little bit of insight into how you've done that. Good coaches, you know, people that can help lead you through it. But I want to know what's happening in your head. You know, how do, how do you deal with the fear and the anxiety and the I'm not good enough? And how have you worked through that as a leader? I will admit I'm still a work in progress on this point. So I think you have to find ways to, first of all, be resilient. You know, I, I have two little boys and I feel like as a parent, if I can, if I can give them one skill or one thing in life, it's a sense of resiliency because life is going to come at you and uh, you're going to have good times and you're going to have down times and you got to figure out how to get through those, those tough times. And I think from a work sense, when you're putting yourself in difficult assignments and, and you're constantly stretching yourself and, and tossing yourself into the, dis the discomfort it's gonna, it's gonna mess with your head a little bit. You just have to expect that. So I, I do whatever I can to make sure that I'm giving myself the same grace that I would give to like a new member of my team or one of my mentees. Extend yourself some grace. Realize that you're not gonna know everything at the start of a new assignment or at the start of a really tough assignment. Um, and give yourself time to learn it. I also think that taking care of your mental health is, is really important. And this is something that leaders especially need to do and, and be cognizant of. So I love to paddleboard and ski and get outside. I, I make sure that I spend time every single day, at least just going out and walking the dog. You got to figure out how to unplug and what works for you. Um, so find those ways to decompress. Make sure you're taking some time off work. I know it's tough. And we all end up in this situation where we feel like, gosh, this place isn't going to run without me. But I assure you, you know, you can take some time off, step away. It'll be good for you. You'll come back a better leader and a better employee. Um, so I think, you know, it's taking good care of yourself and, and extending the grace to yourself as you're learning new things. And that's what's really going to get you through it. Well, and it's that taking good care of yourself is such a personal, like, what do you need? What fills your bucket? What gives you energy? So it's paddleboarding and walking the dog for you. <laughs> it really is. It, I think, I think physical activity for me helps me to reset my brain in, in many ways too. And, and like I said before, you know, making sure you've got good coaches and a good support system around you. I maintain what I like to call my, my personal board of directors, so to speak. 
and it's friends and it's uh, mentors and coaches at work and it's, you know, spiritual advisors and whatever that looks like for you, make sure you've got that support system in place so that they can lift you up and, and sometimes set you straight if you're going off your own path. <laughs> How do you nurture your personal board of directors? So I think it's making sure that you're establishing relationships where certainly, you know, you're getting something out of the relationship, but so are they. So like for my, all of my mentors, for instance, I try and figure out, gosh, I'm getting so much from them. What can I do for them? How can I make their life easier? How can I make their job easier? You want it to be a two-way street. And I think also there's, we're in a, a work environment right now where there's a lot of stock being put in things like networking. You know, make sure that those connections you're building aren't hollow. So I, I like to, you know, prior to this whole COVID thing, every two weeks, I would set time up, apart on my, my Friday calendars. And I would go meet somebody in the indie tech community for coffee somewhere just to get to know people. And I think if you're building personal relationships instead of that transactional relationship that sometimes occurs in the workplace, um, it can really make sure that your personal board of directors stays strong and everybody's getting something out of the relationship. So you're intentional about it and you're intentional about what can I give to these people? Absolutely. 100%. Oh my goodness, Kate, we could talk the rest of the day. I've got lots of questions. <laughs> I'm also cognizant of our time. So, so many good takeaways. To bookend this a little bit, let's go back to the, the innovation project that grew, the innovation idea that grew into this organization that now is just doing all kinds of good things across this huge organization. If you could go back and give yourself any piece of advice when initiating that, what would it be? I would, it, as much fun as I had in it, I would tell myself to enjoy the ride even more and don't stress out because, you know, I, I, I'm a high achiever. And like I said, I suffer from imposter syndrome. And so sometimes when you're really in the trenches, you want to make sure you're doing the right things and saying the right things. And I remember there's, there's a lot of stress associated with standing up this new thing in a big organization. And suddenly everybody's watching and visibility is high. And I wish that I had been a little easier on myself in those early days. You know, we made it, we got there, we had a lot of success and, and it was wonderful. And uh, I, would, I would counsel myself, my younger self, to not stress out so much because, you know, at the end of the day, we were doing great things for people and for the company, but it is just a job. And, and the last thing you want to do is, is intertwine your, yourself, your identity with your job such that they're too tightly coupled. That's unhealthy, right? So things I would counsel my younger self on given, <laughs> given the chance. Enjoy the ride. Absolutely. Enjoy the ride. Well, and it, and it is like a roller coaster, isn't it? I mean, there are going to be those, of course, those scary points and, but it's part of it. And that's part of what the excitement is around the journey. It really is. And, and that's how we grow. You know, I've, I've developed more from those scary moments than from the times where everything's going swimmingly. So, so I think every time you're in a position in work or in life where things aren't going well and it doesn't feel good, if you can somehow reframe it such that this is an opportunity, you know, and it's not why is this happening to me, but what should I learn from this? Or what is this trying to teach me? I think that's a really healthy way of looking at the world. And that's how we can get the most out of this whole human experience, so to speak. Well, and that's how we grow through it for certain. What is this trying to teach me? 
Kate, thank you so much for being here and sharing all these awesome insights. If our listeners want to connect with you, what's the best way to do that? So I am active on LinkedIn. Um, I would love to continue the conversation there. So people are, are welcome to reach out, send me, send me a, uh, a direct message on LinkedIn, and I will be sure to respond. But Andrea, thank you so much. I've enjoyed the conversation, and I love what you're doing here with this podcast. So appreciate it. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast to never miss a Being at Work story.